First Thessalonians four two. First Thessalonians four two. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. We're talking today about the commands of Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would just open our understanding, illuminate our hearts and our minds to your word. Lord, we can hear with our ears, but unless we hear with our hearts, Father, God will remain unchanged, and we need you to effect a change in us, Lord. We don't want to be um, the same at the end of this day as we were when we woke up this morning. We want to be different. We want to be more like Jesus than we've ever been, and we ask you to do that, Father, for Christ's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome back to Bible time. We had a week off, and so here we go, getting back into the back into Bible time. Um, we had that over the Thanksgiving holiday, but here we are in First Thessalonians four two. Glad to be back. Glad to be preaching the Word again. Um, we were grateful for the opportunities God gave during that week. All right, so it says, For you know the commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Four things to observe here, and then we'll jump into our lesson on the commands of Christ. First of all, they said, Ye know. The first thing to notice is they said, ye know. They had already received these commands. This is really important. We may have to go back over these observations after we study the commands so that you can um, see why this is so important um, in the context of the commands of Christ. But they knew these commands. They had received these commands in three Sabbath days and then through the follow-up work of Timotheus who affirmed these commands. Secondly, these are commandments. Now, commandments are non-optional. Commandments are non-negotiable. These are not take it or leave it, um, such as suggestions or etc. I'm amazed in our day, the apostasy of our day, at the, at the way that people think that when they go to church and the preacher gets out the Bible and has a message from God Almighty and preaches with the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit of God and people hear the preaching and they think, oh, that's his opinion. Oh, that's just your opinion. Oh, I, you know, you've got, everybody's got their opinion. And then they'll go on and they'll say, well, I just don't see it that way. And there's some things that the preacher says that are not anointed by the Spirit of God and God's truth and Christ's commands and and with the power and authority of the Word of God behind them. Sometimes the preacher does dive off into opinion. But you better be really careful because if you miss it and you you say that what the preacher says is opinion when he's preaching a command of God, then you are going to be an offender. And God's not going to give you a break because you didn't agree with him copy you got that just because you don't agree with god doesn't mean that god gives you a break and lets you off the hook when you get to the judgment seat of christ christian and god says to you what have you done with what i've given you why didn't you go and share the gospel you say well it wasn't really for me and god says the preacher preached on it he showed you from scripture and i gave you my word that says go ye into all the world and then you say well yeah i know but i thought that was just his opinion you know everybody has opinions god's not going to give you a pass because you thought it was opinion. God gave you commandments, and God expects you to obey His commandments. So everything here that follows in this chapter in First in First Thessalonians four is going to deal with these commandments in getting down to nitty gritty details. There's a lot of commandments in the Bible, over six hundred and eighty some, or maybe six eighty three. You'd ever talk to a Hebrew roots guy, he'll know exactly how many. Um, I tend to forget because I don't keep them all. Now that usually makes them um, pretty upset. With 
with me until I ask them if they've kept them all, about which time they get this nervous look in their eye and they say, no, I try to. Well, let me give you, let me, let me help you here. You're trying to keep Christ's commandments and the commandments of the Bible are, it gives you no brownie points with God. Your attempts to keep the law do not satisfy the law. We'll look at that more in a little bit. Um, the next thing that we observe in this verse is they said, we gave you. These are the commandments that were given by the apostle and by, as he said, the apostles in chapter 2. We'll have to go with uh, with what he said. <coughs> Excuse me. When we might have been burdensome, he says, as the apostles of Christ in chapter 2, verse 6. So here the apostles had given commandments to the church at Thessalonica. And so this authority came from the apostles. And we've talked about this before, how there are 12, not 11, not 13, not 14, not 16, not 27. There are 12 apostles of the Lamb in the Bible. Paul said that he was an, an apostle born out of due time. And again, I'd um, if you have a slight difference of opinion there, as long as you don't deviate from Scripture, we can live and let live and move on. But the general fact of the matter is that the Bible clearly says there are 12 apostles of the Lamb. There are only 12. You cannot have more than 12. There are only 12 apostles of the Lamb. And then we've also noted, and you can go back and look at our other studies on um, the apostolic ministry there, that the Bible uses the word apostle as those that are sent, speaking of those that are working and operating under the authority of the 12 apostles of the Lamb and carrying forward their ministry and therefore have a continuation of the apostolic ministry. These, as in Acts, where it says that the apostles Barnabas and Paul these apostles like Barnabas are not apostles of the Lamb and do not have the same level of gifting and power as the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And that's, um, we've got to move on from there. We're not going to get into all of that the today. You can jump to conclusions if you want, or you can listen to the other teaching about it and see what I really believe about it. Or you can, again, you can just jump to conclusions about it if you want to. But it says here, we gave you these commandments. So these commandments came from the apostles. These apostles being the apostolic evangelistic band led by the apostle Paul, who I believe was the 12th apostle of the Lamb. And so here he came with all the authority of God's own word, which is why in verse 13 of chapter 2 it says for this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard of us you received it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God and so the apostle Paul brought the word of God these other these others that were sent to operate under his authority and in his apostolic ministry these carry his word and the word of the other apostles and prophets that are the word of God which by the way you've got in your hand these commandments that we have been given hold up your bible the commandments that you've been given are right here in your hand these commandments are given we have been given them by the apostles and by the prophets but look at the fourth thing here in this verse by the Lord Jesus. You can put them down. By the Lord Jesus. There in 1 Thessalonians 4.2. So these commandments come by the, uh, by the Lord Jesus, but they're given through the apostles. And this is how God works. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. The scripture is given by inspiration, not by direct vocalization of God. Did you hear me today?
The scripture is given by inspiration, not direct vocalization. God chose, except for a few times, such as at Mount Sinai when he gave the Ten Commandments, God chose to speak through men. And when God spoke to men and through men, his word was inspired through those men. Like Brother Danny said Sunday night, um, some of the men might have been more like a trombone, another man like a tuba, and another man like a trumpet. So you'd get different tones but all of it harmonizes, all of it goes together, all of it is perfect and musically tuned in the Word of God, and you can hear it like a great brass band without a single note being missed, and we can see God's handiwork in the Word of God, in that God used all these different authors, all these different men, and God spoke to them and through them, and yet every page and every letter of the Bible agrees with every other page and letter. The word of God is perfect, it's inspired, it's preserved, it is without error. It is full of apparent contradictions. Did you know that one of the greatest ways to learn something is to see the contrasts? And God puts things in his Bible that look like contradictions to force you to study and get down to brass tacks and start splitting hairs and get down into the nitty gritty and compare scripture with scripture and to force you to cry out to God and say, God, I don't understand this, but I know you're right. Even if it looks like you're wrong, I'm the one that's wrong, not you, so that you will get into the Bible and see and learn the deep, the balanced, narrow way truth of God's word. That's why God says um, in his word, we'll get to this a little later, brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye have heard from the beginning. And then he says in the next verse, again, a new commandment write I unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. And in that verse, it seems like he's contradicting himself, and he does that on purpose. And God does it all through the Bible. These are apparent. They look like contradictions, but they are not contradictions if you will study them with a heart of trust in, trust in God that his word is true, then those contradictions force you to godlike conclusions. Do you hear me? They force you to accurate conclusions. They force you like funneling you down into a needle's I, these apparent contradictions give you no other way but perfect truth. And if you go on either side of perfect truth, you end up with contradictions over and over and over again in the Bible. And God set it up that way on purpose. So the scholar that thinks that he's so smart and embraces his perspective and then finds apparent contradictions in the Bible will say, the Bible's full of apparent contradictions and you need me so that I can tell you when the Bible's right and when the Bible's wrong. But the humble man who's just a potato farmer and happens to have gotten a copy of the Word of God and sits down and reads it every day, that man in his humility, as he reads the Bible day by day, sees these apparent contradictions and says, God, I really don't know much of anything. I need wisdom. I need understanding. He makes a note. He marks it down. And then whenever he keeps reading the Bible, God shows him the answer and the apparent contradiction vanishes in rightly divided word of truth. And the old humble potato farmer becomes a master theologian and the master theologian becomes stupider than a box of rocks that the potato farmer hauled out of his field and threw over the fence. 
And that's just how God does it. That's how it works. That's how God has set it up. And he did it that way on purpose. Read Corinthians. He brings to naught the wisdom of this world. And he's chosen the foolish things of this world, the base things of this world, to confound the wise and them that are mighty. This is God's way. And if you come to God any other way, you won't get it. So here God spoke by inspiration. We see that in our text. First Thessalonians 4, 2, that we gave you by the Lord Jesus these commandments. These commandments were given by the Lord Jesus through the apostles. Now the Bible says that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, that God the Holy Ghost literally moved in their hearts, moved on their lungs, moved on their vocal cords, moved on their tongues, moved on their lips, moved on their very physical body to produce the exact sounds and tones and inferences that were needed to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God to the world. So this is what is being said here by we gave you by the Lord Jesus. This is a direct reference, a direct inference to the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. And here they told the church at Thessalonica, ye know the commandments we gave you by the the Lord Jesus. These things came from the Lord Jesus. We gave them to you, but they came by the Lord Jesus. Just like he says there again in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. We can't hardly read that verse enough in our study of 1 Thessalonians because it is so central and key to understanding this church. It says there, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, the apostles, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. That is absolutely the key to understanding the Bible and to understanding First Thessalonians. So go to First John 2, 3. We're going to talk about the commands of Christ, and then Lord willing, if we remember, we'll look back over um, some of these points um, and see how they relate to the commands of Christ directly once we've looked at some of the commands of Christ. We don't have time to cover them all. Again, there's just so much in the Word of God, so many commandments in the Word of God, we don't possibly have time to go over them, even in the New Testament. A lot of people say, well, the law is just the Old Testament, and they don't realize that there are many commandments in the New Testament. On the other side of the coin, there's a lot of people that try and make the New Testament a Mosaic law, and that's the other pitfall that we don't want to get into. We'll examine that, Lord being our help today. 1 John 2, 3, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's pretty plain, isn't it? That's pretty plain. Verse 5 says, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. When I call out a scripture reference, I expect you and ask you and beseech you to open your Bibles and follow along and read for yourself. And mark down, make your notes, but read it for yourself in the Bible. The only way you will prevent yourself from being absolutely deceived by Bible teachers like myself and others is if you have a Bible yourself and you read it and you study it and you believe it and you humble yourself before God and ask him to teach you. So he says, but whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Now I do want to say I would not, do not, will not purposefully lead you astray, but I am human and I do not always speak as the word of God. Often I speak as the word of Joshua and when I do that you need to wad it up and throw it in the trash. But you're going to have to have your Bible open and 
study it if you're going to know the difference between when I'm speaking truth as from the Word of God and whenever I've gone off on a tangent. You're going to have to stick to your Bible. It's your only hope of avoiding deception. 1 John 3.22 And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So again, we have here this keeping of Christ's commandments. Look at verse 23. And this is his commandment. This This is a big answer to a big question. What is his commandment? If we need to keep his commandments, then we need to know what his commandments are so that we can keep his commandments. Does that make sense? Okay, so here he's going to tell us what his commandment is. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave his commandment. There it is, summed up in totality in this one verse, 1 John 3.23 is the entire summation of New Testament law, the commandments of Jesus Christ. It says here, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. So that first one there, to believe on his son, Jesus Christ, has to do with loving God. The second one has to do with with loving man, which takes us to um, first to John um, or to Matthew 22 and verse 35. We'll look at that, but hold your place in first John because we're not done there. So Matthew 22 and verse 35. <clears throat> Here a lawyer came to Christ tempting him. I'm in the wrong chapter. That would help. All right. A lawyer came to Christ, tempting him, Matthew 22, 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? He's saying, what's the number one law? What's the biggest commandment, the greatest commandment? Well, as the Bible says in the book of James, he that keeps the whole law and yet offends in one point, he is guilty of all. So we would assume by that naturally that all the law is equal but absolutely um, not so. We find that that is not the case. Instead, we find that breaking even the least of the commandments and teaching men so makes men least in the kingdom of heaven, according to Jesus Christ in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. And that even breaking one law, the least, breaking the least of the laws is enough to send a man to hell. But we also find through Christ's teaching here, because of his answer to this lawyer, that not all of God's laws are equal. There are greater laws and there are lesser laws and there are laws that supersede other laws. There are laws that apply unless you are obeying a greater law that overwrites the first law in which case you are absolved from your duty to that um, first law that is a lesser law. There are greater laws, and there are lower laws, lesser laws. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Do you see what Jesus just said there? There is a first and great commandment. (coughs) 
Now he says, and the second is like unto it. And here Christ volunteers something who was not even asked, and he gives a second. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, in Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments. Very famous, very right, very good, very true, very pure, very righteous altogether. The Ten Commandments of God that he gave on Mount Sinai, and he gave those vocally to the children of Israel who heard him with their own ears and then they said to Moses let not God speak with us lest we die but speak thou with us and we will hear but let not God speak with us lest we die and they asked God to no longer speak vocally and verbally to them because of their great fear of the voice of God. And Moses went up into the mount, and we have the story there that God has preserved for us in his word in Exodus chapter 20 and on where God gave them his commandments, beginning with those Ten Commandments. Many people make a mistake in assuming that the Ten Commandments are the summation of the law. They are not. The Ten Commandments are a... are they do sum up the law to a degree, but Jesus Christ gave us the summation of the law. He says right here, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is, <coughs> this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus there said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any life likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I the Lord thy God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments and on it goes. Those ten commandments are a further breakdown of the two great commandments and then it break God breaks it down even further into many, many, many applications of those Ten Commandments and of many other laws, the ceremonial law, the sacrificial law, many other groups of laws that God gave. But the first two great commandments, which were not named first in the Pentateuch, do you hear me? They were not listed first in the Mosaic Law, in the Torah. They were not listed first. Nevertheless, they are first. And this is a very important thing to realize that God did does not order things necessarily by greatest, but by need to know. God deals with man based on man's ignorance and on man's need to know from God the truth. And God deals with man throughout the ages. The Bible says in ages past, these things were not made known, but now are made known. It says that the rulers did not know the hidden mystery, for if they had known, they had not crucified the Lord of glory. God deals with man based on man's ignorance, not based on his perfect law and communicating to man his perfection first. He deals with man as an ignorant being and teaches man and builds man and grows man and he brings man along. So God therefore did not teach <coughs> in, to Moses to teach the children of Israel 
the two great commandments first, but rather he gave them the Ten Commandments. And we know that he gave them those because of transgression. Because the children of Israel were not keeping his law, he gave them the Ten Commandments on Sinai. And you can, that's all through the Bible. That's what God said through Moses, and it's what God says in his New Testament. He says, Wherefore then was the law given because of transgression? <coughs> Now, this law that was given, these commandments that were given, all of them hang on these two great commandments by Jesus Christ. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Here in 1 John chapter 3, he says in verse 23, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he and him and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us so this keeping of the commandments of these two great commandments supersedes all other commandments and in first john we find these two great commandments summarized that to love the lord god with all thy heart mind soul and strength is to believe on his son jesus christ and then if you do not believe on his son, Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the creator of the universe, that Jesus became a man and was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect sinless life, was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary for your sin and mine. He was buried and he rose again the third day and he is alive. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved by grace are ye saved through faith? It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ according to his gospel, you are practically fulfilling this commandment to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. This greatest of commandments supersedes all other commandments. And whereas breaking even the least commandment is enough to send you to hell, the completion and fulfillment of the greatest commandment is enough for God to count to you all the righteousness of Christ and wash away your sins in the blood of Jesus. And that's a mystery, and that seems absolutely impossible. And it would be if it were not for the great love wherewith he loved us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And Christ's death on the cross satisfied the just demands of God's holy law so that God then only demands that you keep the one great commandment in order to be saved. And that is that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The great commandment being that you love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it being expressed and clearly stated in the Bible in 1 John 2.23 as believing on the Son of God, Jesus Christ. If you believe on the Son of God, Jesus Christ, truly the way that God says to, it is the ultimate practical obedience to the first great commandment to love God with all your mind, soul, heart, and strength. I'm not getting any amens there. It's all amen myself. Amen. amen. 
That's where it's at. That's the truth of it right there. Jesus Christ, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, is the great and practical, biblical, rightly divided application of the greatest commandment that Jesus gave, which is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if you fulfill that commandment because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary to cover the multitude, multitude of your sins, God has said that he will write off all of your sins, cover you in the blood of Jesus, separate you from your sins as far as the east is from the west, and give you a home in heaven and a new name written down in glory and a place to reign and rule with Christ. Hallelujah. Bless his holy name. Now I know that that doesn't sit just real right with most folks because most folks want to either deny all commands of God or they want to try and reinstitute the Mosaic law in the New Testament and try and give you a whole list of rules to keep. And both of those errors are great errors and great ditches. The Bible says in 1 John 2 and 22, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Go over to the Gospel of John, head towards chapter 15. We're going to look at something there in just a second. As you're going there, I want to read you a couple verses from John 3. You all know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you notice there that God says the condition upon which everlasting life hangs and the escaping from the fate of perishing that hangs on one condition, whosoever believeth in him. And this is why believing in his son Jesus Christ is to God the ultimate expression of loving him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him, that's the son, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Now some of you are already saying that I'm preaching works because I'm saying that believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is keeping his commandment. And you're off your rocker because God says that it's not works. And you can say that it's works, but if God says it's not works, you're wrong. And that's just the end of the whole story. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is the keeping of the greatest commandment. It is the ultimate fulfillment of the law. You say God wouldn't just write off all of your other mistakes based on that one obedience. I don't think so. But I could take you to the Old Testament. I didn't write down the place, but I encourage you to search it out for yourself if you want to know truth. Where the children of Israel had been disobeying God's laws and God had sent prophet after prophet after prophet prophet to the children of Israel and finally <coughs> he told them he said stop everything you're doing stop your sacrifices stop 
Stop your new moons. Stop your festivals. Stop your feasts. Stop all of your attempts to keep my lesser laws. And he says, just do one thing and I will spare you. And he gives them one thing. In that case, to the children of Israel, he said, just keep my Sabbath. Just keep one law. Just obey one law and I'll spare you. And they wouldn't do it. He gave that through the prophet Jeremiah. And the people still would not do it. He said, just do one thing. Just bear no burden on the Sabbath day. And they would not hearken. They would not listen. And God judged them. But God was prepared to extend mercy and grace in the Old Testament. Do you hear me? Before Jesus Christ even came, God was prepared to to extend mercy and grace to the people if they would obey one of his laws. Breaking one law is enough to send you to hell. But God in his infinite love and mercy was prepared to give them mercy if they would just obey one law. And they wouldn't and couldn't do it. So now God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who died for us according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day so that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 36 of John 3 says, He that believeth on the son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. We're headed to John 15. Um, as, As I get there, you should be there already. As I get over to John 15, I want to make note and speak to you that there's two sides to this today. On the one hand, we are saying that God requires only belief on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, and that is the keeping of his commandments. That is the ultimate keeping of his commandments on the one side. And so there's a crowd out there that wants to make everybody keep the law that's already mad at me, and I'm going to tell them this. I'm not saying the other commandments do not matter. And the other crowd here is going to get mad at me. The crowd that says we're saved by grace, not works. That means we can live any way we want to. And here's where I'm going to tell that crowd what you may have already noticed. That believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is a commandment. And it's part of God's law. And that you're not going to be saved if you do not keep his commandments. And that God has a commandment of the gospel. And God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. And unless you obey, obey, obey the gospel, submit to the almighty God in heaven and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, ye shall likewise surely perish. There's two sides to this thing. There's two ditches you can get on. There's two applications that need to be made to this. That while the commandment is fulfilled in believing Jesus Christ, yet the commandment is still a commandment and it must be kept. Both are true. And so this commandment we see here, we can make, listen, here's the conclusion that we can draw. Once again, things that appear to be contradictory in the Bible force us into a narrow passageway that filters and screens out all of our false ideas about the Bible and about the gospel and forces us to righteous and godlike conclusions. That's God's purpose in this. These two extremes that we fall to (coughs) 
are part of the reason God says things the way he says them, to force us to funnel down, to go down the funnel of truth and come out at the conclusion that he wants us to reach his conclusion. So here we have... 1 John saying in chapter 3 verse 23 that this is his commandment that we believe on his son Jesus Christ. And then we also have Jesus Christ saying this is the great commandment. And we see in 1 John he puts believing on the Lord Jesus Christ just above loving your neighbor. And we find in Matthew 23 and other places in the scripture that Jesus Christ put loving the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength just above loving thy neighbor as thyself as the second great commandment. And so we find that to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But we also find that to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is to believe God. God and believe in his son Jesus Christ you say what are you getting at I don't see it what I'm getting at is that if your belief is not the result of and it does not produce a love for God with all your heart mind soul and strength then your belief is a false belief and it is not the belief that you are commanded to in the Bible Oh, you, you may think I'm really straining at gnats now and swallowing camels, but I say to you today, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And then Americans will say, oh, well, I believe in Santa Claus. I'll believe in Jesus too. There are different kinds of beliefs. I believe it will rain today. That doesn't mean it will. The belief in the Bible that this is what we're getting at. God is defining his own terms. God is qualifying his own statements. God is giving the parameters and the boundaries for his own truths. And God here through comparison of scripture with scripture has shown us through the word of God that true saving faith belief in the heart on the Lord Jesus Christ is directly equivalent to loving the Lord thy God with all thy heart thy mind thy soul and thy strength and if you do not love the lord with all your heart mind soul and strength then you do not believe in the lord jesus christ the way that we are commanded to believe on the lord jesus christ now everybody's probably mad at me Praise the Lord. The Bible says, beware when all men speak well of you. Now, I'm not for these guys that shoot off their mouths just to make people mad, but if I'm preaching Bible and that makes you mad, I probably did my job. As long as I'm preaching the Word of God and not opinions. <coughs> not just in carnal, fleshly anger or anything, which I trust and believe with all my heart is not present in my breast today. So here in John 15, we're going to see that Jesus Christ picks up with these commandments, speaking of these commandments to his disciples. And he says, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Verse 10 of chapter 15. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Now, because of what we have seen and what we know to be true from this other, that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You see, as he says here, this is my commandment, or if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. And here, Jesus, they're confirming. This is another one of those statements that's a miraculous statement that shows, again, the absolute inefficacy of human effort. Do you hear me today? This shows the absolute futility and uselessness of human effort to please God. He says, if ye keep my commandments, then ye shall abide in my love. But loving God is keeping his commandments. 
So what comes first, the chicken or the egg? You're stuck because you're going to find really fast that you can not keep his commandments apart from a work of the Holy Spirit of God, a regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And then you cry out in despair, woe is me, I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips like Isaiah. You say, woe is me, I am undone for I have seen the king in his glory and you will fall before him at judgment apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God and be damned to a lake of fire. And when you recognize that, you're prepared to call out to God in mercy, for mercy, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, placing your trust in him, which is the the ultimate expression of loving him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength because you've turned to him from a devil's hell and from your ineffective attempts to please him with your own merit. So here you are crying out, Abba, Father, I love you. I trust you. I believe in you. I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. And there, by doing that, you are abiding in His love and keeping His commandments. How about that? Hallelujah! This ought to be liberating. This ought to make you just want to shout inside. Keeping his commandments doesn't mean a list of rules. It means believing him and loving him. Hallelujah. (coughs) It unburdens me. If nobody else gets a blessing from this, I'm blessed from it. Praise his holy name. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So then his commandments go on, and they broaden, and they deepen. Because you keep the first commandment, you have a desire to keep the second commandment, which we'll look at here in verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. That ye love one another as I have loved you. And with that desire to keep his second commandments, that is, by the way, the practical application definition of grace, comes the power of God to keep his commandments that he promised to give you. So as you have loved the Lord and believed on him, and the Bible says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and he gives you the power to become a son of God, the Bible says. As many as believed on his name to them gave he power to become the sons of God. God's power comes whenever your love to God brings forth a desire towards God. God's power moves in and God's grace is manifested and you are altered and regenerated and rejuvenated by the power of the Spirit of God and become a child of God, a joint heir with Christ, and start following Jesus. Because that same desire that caused you to love God and to therefore keep His commandments, starting with believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, now effectually worketh in you to desire to love one another. And when your desire aligns itself by the, by, the, by the working of God's word in your heart and your acceptance of God's word, when your desire to keep God's commandments aligns with God's word, God supplies the power through his Holy Spirit for you to keep his commandments. Hallelujah. 
It's not by works of righteousness that we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. And that's how we walk as well, keeping his commandments. Here in verse 12, he says, This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. So there come the commandments again. But what is the basis? We've laid the foundation here with Scripture for these commandments, and the basis is love. <coughs> The basis for keeping the commandments is love. And here, because of that love, the desire is worked in your heart. And where the desire is worked in your heart, the power is soon to follow, which is called God's grace. The desire and the power to do what God would have me to do. Some people define grace as unmerited favor. And so it is, in a sense, as well. But the practical outworking of grace, what is grace as it is given to me, grace that is sufficient to me to overcome temptation, Grace to overcome affliction is more than unmerited favor. There's a practical outworking of grace in the life of those who have obtained grace, the unmerited favor of God. And that practical outworking of grace is the desire and the power to do that which God would have me to do. Grace is not the apologist for sin. It is reported that Charles Spurgeon said that, I guess. Grace is not the apologist for sin, but is the nursemaid of holiness. And here we see that to be true because the grace of God that has been shed abroad in your hearts, that grace of God that has given you the desire and the power to follow God keeps his commandments. And hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So the keeping of his commandments is not something done through the energy and the power of my carnal flesh, but rather the keeping of his commandments is an out working an outflowing of the divine power of the Holy Spirit of God in my life that causes me not only to want to obey him but gives me the power to obey him hallelujah to the lamb bless his holy name no one but God could have come up with a gospel like this great gospel of Jesus Christ there is nothing that compares to the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ hallelujah to the lamb bless his holy name verse 14 ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you henceforth I call you not servants for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my father I have made known unto you do you see it there again he calls them friends if ye do my commandments then even though he's talking to a bunch of backwards disciples who are about to forsake him and flee him and to betray him and to backslide if you will like peter would be seen to do as he denies christ three times in the coming in the just the few coming moments of this very night here he says ye are my friends i have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my father I have made known unto you so he said you're my friends if ye do but then he said you're my friends because I have made known unto you the word so which is it it's both again God allowing an apparent contradiction to funnel us down into an understanding of divine truth 
So here we are at this truth that he says, I've, I will, you're my friends if you do my commandments. And then he says, I've called you my friends because I've given you my word. So again, the word of God instigates in their hearts a deep desire and longing to obey God, followed by a complete failure to obey God, followed by desperate cries of children of the devil begging God for mercy, followed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the region generation of the lost man through the faith in Jesus Christ followed by attempts to please God in the flesh that fail again which is then followed by the empowering of the Holy Spirit of God to do what God's told them to do salvation is of the Lord sanctification is of the Lord and it comes through the word of God and through faith in the word of God our part in the whole thing is faith and that's it faith that's it believe him now, when you believe him, you will want to obey him and you will try to obey him. And then you will fail to obey him and cry out to him because you love him. And even though you're failing, you love him and you want to obey him and you cry out to him. And when you cry, he hears from his holy hill and he sends help from Zion and he rescues his darling from the dogs. He rescues you and fills you with his spirit and gives you power to follow him. So here's this love, the two great commandments, um, verse 15, um, verse 16, let's see here. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you that ye love one another. Hallelujah. So there's the second commandment. Now we're going to bring some, bring this to uh, a careful balance here. I think we've been balancing as we go along, but we're going to bring in some scriptures. Go to 2 Corinthians 3, um, 6. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Um, here he says that they're suffering, that they're not sufficient in themselves. Their sufficiency is of God. And he said, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. There are those who would take, for example, Matthew five through seven, a beautiful and wonderful passage of scripture that is literal and accurate and applies to us today. Some people say this only applies to the kingdom. I say, well, it applies to us. That's why Christ preached it and it applies also in other ways to the Jews and it will have applications in the kingdom but it has direct applications to us Christ meant it you have to obey it but the letter killeth but the spirit giveth life and if you go to Matthew 5 6 and 7 and try and make a bunch of rules and regulations out of it for how you're supposed to live your life the letter killeth but the Spirit giveth life. And there are great moves of God, great organizations, great groups of people who have tried to serve God and have been holier than your average so-called Christian who have tried to obey the Bible and be people of the book who have nevertheless failed in this in that the focus has shifted from Christ to the commands of Christ. And instead of love for Christ, it's keeping His commandments that becomes the focus. Whereas he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, some people read it this way. If you really love me, you will in your strength obey everything that I said to do as proof of your love for me. But that's not what Christ said. And we've already illustrated that with many other scriptures. That what he's actually saying there, the reality is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments 
And he says, how through his word and through his power and through his spirit and through his infilling, indwelling, and his anointing. That's how. So there's two very different ways of reading this verse. And God puts all these other verses in the Bible to force us to the understanding. You either have to pick an extreme and run with it, or you have to continually seek God until you get funneled down into this rightly divided word of truth and understand that the love of God is how you keep his commandments, not why. Did you, did you catch that today? That's life and death right there. If you can get that, that's life and death. If you think that love is why you obey God, you will continue to fail. But when you grasp that love is how you obey God, you will mount up with wings as eagles. You will run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Listen to me today. Love is how you keep his commandments. The greatest commandment is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. If you keep those two, you will keep all the others in spirit. Do you hear me today? You will keep them. And this thing of keeping the commandments in um, in spirit and in letter. Boy, does that thing get twisted up. But here he says in 2 Corinthians 3, the New Testament, he's made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. The testament, the testament is word for testimony. It's God's law. The New Testament is a new law. Let's move on to some other verses real quick. We've got to keep moving. The Bible says, <coughs> and I didn't get the reference here, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Go to Romans 6. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Truthless grace is no more grace than graceless truth. There are people out here that fight against those that would have you keep the law, and they say, we're under the law. We're, we're not under the law. We're under grace. And they use the grace of God for lasciviousness, but they have truthless grace. And those that would try to, keep you, to have you keep the law and yet have no comprehension of the grace of God and deny the grace of God and try and bring you under bondage, they have graceless truth. And both of these are not uh, come short of what Jesus Christ brought the law came by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ here in Romans chapter 6 after dealing with the depravity of all men in chapter 1 and then on through chapter 4 he deals with the depravity in chapter 2 and 3 of the Jew how they've come short and how all have come short the Jew in chapter 2 all men have come short in chapter 1 or Gentiles is chapter 1 chapter 3 is all have come short of the glory of God chapter 4 is the faith of Abraham introducing the fact that salvation has always been by faith. Chapter 5 deals with justification by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it deals with how God can justify man through faith. Chapter 6 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Look at verse 2. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. 
let not sin therefore reign. There is a command, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. Look at verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. The way Paul uses, ye are not under the law, but under grace, is to say, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So while the hippie Christian comes up with his um, doobie and he's smoking it, and he's standing there living in sin, and he says, what's the matter, man? I'm under grace. I'm not under the law. Paul says, what's the matter, man? You're under grace, not under the law. Why are you living in sin? You're under grace. Don't you understand that grace is teaches us that denying ungodliness and unholiness we should live pure lives before God. Go to Titus. I butchered that one up. Don't go there now. We've got to move on. But Paul teaches them, if you're under grace, then live like you're under grace because grace is the outpouring of God's desire and power to do what is right when once we have truly fallen in love with Christ. You say you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. If you say you love me, keep my commandments. And these people say, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, and they will not keep his commandments. They're liars. If they love him, they will keep his commandments, not because love compels them to, but because love gives them the power to and the desire to. That grace is poured through the channel, through the conduit of love. This is a gospel of love. But love isn't what the world says it is, is it? This is totally different from how the world preaches love. But it's how the Bible preaches it. What then, he says in verse 15, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. And know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now go to Galatians chapter 3, and we'll talk a little bit about those that would pervert the gospel and say, I keep the commandments because I love him. And they say that their motivation for keeping the commandments is their love for God, and thereby they claim some kind of special favor with God because they in themselves have conjured up some kind of power to fulfill God's law and keep his commandments through their own human love for Christ. And such an abomination must be answered for such is not the gospel Um, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10 for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse for it is written cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them and they say I love Christ therefore I keep his commandments and I put my tassels on my clothes the Hebrew roots crowd the Hebrew Israelites etc 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 that try to keep the law and they say Jesus said keep the law if you love me keep my commandments and Jesus is the word and Jesus was in the beginning and Jesus was the voice of God that spoke from Mount Sinai all of which is true and Jesus's voice is that which uttered the Ten Commandments including the Sabbath all of that is true but then they pervert the whole gospel and they say I love him and through my love for him I will keep the law myself to please him and such is a perversion and they have fallen from grace which is the desire and the power to do what God wants you to do 
It says here, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident the just for the just shall live by faith. Listen, and they say, And I keep the law because I have faith. Look at what it says here. They say, I keep the law because I love him and because I believe him. But the Bible says, And the law is is not of faith. Did you hear me today? The Bible says the law is not of faith. Did you see it there? Galatians chapter 12, chapter 3, verse 12. Burn it in your hearts. The law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. Verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith and faith is not of the law the law is not of faith The promise of the Spirit comes through faith. The Bible says in verse 24 of Galatians 3, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. Amen. Hallelujah. There is not one Old Testament law that I am under. You go, ah, listen to me today. I'm not saying that that Jesus did away with the law. He says, I'm not come to do away with the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them, they are fulfilled in Christ. Every one of the Old Testament laws still applies to you if you are a Jew or a Gentile in your context if you're not under Christ. You have those in Romans chapter 1 who are without law. They're going to hell. You have those who are in Romans chapter 2 who are under the law and going to hell. You have those in chapter 3 who are all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and are going to hell. And in Romans chapter 4, you have the righteousness which is by faith and faithful Abraham and is imputed by faith to all those that believe. Therefore, in Romans chapter 5, being justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me today. If you break God's laws that he set in place from the foundation of the world, which our founding fathers in America called the laws of nature and of nature's God, the natural laws that God has made to govern human interaction, if you kill a man, then by the hand of man must your blood be shed. Jew, Gentile, Greek, it doesn't matter. You're under that law. You are under that law and you are condemned under that law. If you are a Jew, you're under all of the other extra laws that were given specifically to the nation of Israel. But if you are born again by the power of God, you have moved under the commands of Christ, a higher law. And this is explained all through the Bible. We can't hang up here much longer because we want to focus on the commands of Christ. But the commands of Christ that came in are the higher law. And if you are under that higher law, the commands of Christ, which are summed up in believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and loving your brother as yourself... If you are under that law, you are free. 
from the curse of the law. Christ hath made you free. And there's no two ways about it. And anybody that tries to go back to that Old Testament law has fallen from grace, evidencing that they never laid hold of it. They may have climbed all the way up to Hill Calvary, and they might have got to the foot of the cross, and they might have beheld the face of the crucified one, and they might have watched his blood pour from his wounds, and they might have knelt there in humble contrition and adoration. And at that moment, when they should have broken before the Almighty and cried out, Lord, be merciful to me a sinner their great human love for the great christ who died for them compelled them in a humanistic way to try and find a way to propitiate god with their own works and they turned from the grace that they had attained to and climbed to and were kneeling next to where the grace could have been poured out on their heads and they could have been saved and they fell from their grace and they went back to the law and the bible said cursed is everyone that doeth not all things that are found in the book of the law. And they're cursed and far from God, and they'll burn in a devil's hell. I love you Hebrew Roots people out there. You're lost. You're on your way to hell. Repent of your sins. Repent of your self-righteous pharisaical law-keeping and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and keep His commandments. Start with the number one commandment. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's plus nothing, minus nothing. And then follow it with loving your brother as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Graceless truth will take you to hell. Truthless grace will take you to hell. You must have grace and truth. Then we have um, in Acts, they said there's no greater burden that we will lay on them. And he gave a few little rules. So we do see there, and I say little rules, they're very important. Keep yourself from um, idols, things sacrificed to idols, blood, things strangled, fornication. If you do these things, ye shall do well. Reiterated two other times in the book of Acts, and then reiterated again in the book, I think it's Second John, it's one of the epistles, the smaller epistles of John, where he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And again in Timothy, where it says, flee idolatry. And again and again and again, all through the Bible, we're commanded to those kinds of things. Those commandments that come are comprehended in this. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors your Yourself. If you are living that, you will do that. If you do not live that, you will not do that. That is the starting place. Everything trickles down from there. Philippians 3, and we'll close. Lord, help us today. Here in Philippians 3, he says, speaking of, Paul speaks of his great attainments as in Hebrew in keeping the law. And he says in direct context of keeping the law, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. He counted the washing of cups, the feast of the new moon, the feast of the ingathering, the feast of trumpets, the feast of harvest, the feast of the Passover, as dung. That's what he said. That's what he said right there. Paul said, I count them but dung. 
that I may win Christ. The sacrificial offerings, the bullocks, the lambs, the incense, the showbread, the temple itself that he'd once loved so much that he would shed his blood in a heartbeat, give his blood to protect it. And yet he says, I count it all but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And again, that's a two-edged righteousness. Righteousness. It's an imputed righteousness from God, yes. But if you want to tell me that God imputes his righteousness without any practical righteousness being evidenced in your life, I have to ask you whether you believe God at all. When it says righteousness, it means righteousness. And when it says he imputes righteousness, it means he imputes it, not only positionally, but practically. There is a practical righteousness that must be imputed if for you to be able to claim to have the righteousness of Christ. He says, not having the righteousness, mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And here he expresses his great love for God, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. We'll skip down. He says in verse 14, I press toward the mark. He says, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. A lot more that we could go into there, but we're going to end it. Let's just take one more thing. Thank the Lord. Have us look at this right here in our text. He says here, let us therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Unless you are already perfect, you cannot begin to strive to please God. You cannot begin to reach for the mark. You cannot try to attain unless you are already made perfect, which only comes through faith in Christ, which is by b- believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Until you are perfect, you cannot begin. So many begin because they want to be, per- they want to become perfect, and it will not get you there. As many as are perfect, be thus minded. And if anything, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. And then he goes on and talks about many people that don't walk according to the law of God and says that their glory is their shame, who mind earthly things, and it says their end is destruction. Father, help us, Lord, as we've tried to rightly divide your word. I pray that you'd bless this word, that you'd save souls, that you'd glorify your Son. We worship you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.